Let's go watch it in 2D. No, let's go watch it in 3D. But if we watch it in 3D, then is it worth the cost? Hello, hello, hello. This is Adolf, and today I'm doing an interview with Mr. Pa Gorman. Uh, pa, to start off, who are you and what do you do? Nice to uh, to be here. Thanks for having me, Adolf. Uh, I am Paul Gorman. I'm an indie filmmaker, a showrunner, and a co-owner at Maddie G TV. We're an indie film and television studio. Okay. How long have you guys been at it? Well, I actually started in 1999 doing post-production. I had a, like a little uh, post house. I did uh, editing, some digital effects, DVD authoring, that kind of thing. I, I didn't actually make my first film until 2005. Okay. So most of your films are like horror and thrillers. Is there a specific reason for this? Well, part of it is I, I actually love the genre. I grew up watching, you know, like late night stuff on HBO, Cinemax, you know, those those 90s, you know, thriller movies. I, I love uh, like Adrian Lyon's work, Fatal Attraction and, uh, you know, the early horror stuff, the Halloween movies. So that's a big part of it. I, I'm inspired by that stuff, but there's also a fiscal aspect to it as well. It, it's the genre that, that fans, at least indie fans seem to like the most. So as such as that, you know, like the, the distributors request the horror first, um, streaming channels want horror first. So, you know, there's a lot of requests for it. And I, I think especially with physical media, you don't hear of people like bragging about their comedy collection or their, you know, the, you know, the, they don't brag about their cartoon collection. They say, look at my horror collection. Okay. So what are your like top five horror movies? So that's a tough one. I watch a lot of movies and I, I like them for different reasons. Like I'm, I'm a fan of Rob Zombie. I like his Devil's Rejects series. Um, I thought the new one, Three from Hell, was not actually his best work. Um, I like the Texas Chainsaw remakes. I like uh, the Halloween movies. I like the Friday the 13th series. Um, God, it's like I said, it's d different movies for different reasons. Okay, is there any like big hits like you know people may recognize that you really like? Uh, I think the Texas Chainsaw movies are are pretty big. Friday the Thirteenth, I love the 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 slasher genre in general. That that ominous monster. I like monster movies. That that's actually what inspired me to to make Blood of Oma later you know, later on in my career. Like for me, my favorite recent horror movie, which isn't that recent, is uh, Stephen King's uh, The Mist that came out like, like 10 years ago, maybe about on there. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like like half of Stephen King's stuff. Yeah, I agree. 2007 version of that. Um, that ending is just so awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, and I love Misery. Um, I, I love Shawshank Redemption. That's one that a lot of people forget as a Stephen King movie. Yeah. Um, but like It, the original It, that miniseries, you know, 
I love the work. Uh, you know, the clown stuff was great. That's sort of what makes that show. But uh, so it's hard to get through in 2019. Yeah, my mom loves uh, horror movies, and whenever I go visit her, I usually take her to go see one, and like I watched The Curse of La Lorona, and I thought it was meh, and then I, I wasn't a big fan of The Witch. I know everyone loves that movie, but I, I just like, I thought it was okay. Yeah. So, um, you're a film director, writer, cinematographer, um, what's the hardest part of being each of those things? Well, my level working in independent film, it's that there's a lot of hats. Like you said, writer, director, cinematographer. I'm also set designer, location scout, the guy that goes and gets the pizza. You know, there's a lot of things to it, you know, and I don't do it alone. Um, you know, we, but it, the crew's small. In Hollywood, you got, you know, 300 people doing these jobs. And in India, you might have three. Or, you know, five or six people if you have a big crew. So that's the tough part. If if you're in Hollywood and you have millions and millions of dollars, there's somebody in charge of every single job. And problems can be solved with money. Like, you know, oh, that, that location shut us out. Well, let's go, you know, to the next town over and buy a building and shoot there. Problem solved. You, you can't do that in India. you got to just really think smarter work harder okay so how did um you get into writing movies like is it, did you take any classes or anything for film your film work no i i had a pretty good background from before before i ran the post house i worked in advertising i was a creative director doing commercials and print ads and you know advertising so i, I knew my way around a set and I had done a lot of editing and um, some digital effects work, stuff like that. What made me want to actually make films was honestly about longevity of my career. I, I figured out the business of movies is that as an editor, I have to constantly hustle new jobs, new clients, new work to pay the bills. Whereas because I, I get paid once to edit a movie. But the guy that owns that movie gets paid as long as that movie is on the market and selling. So I realized, you know, dur during those years in, as the post house that if I want to retire in this industry, if I want to have long term longevity income, I need to own some films. So I just made the decision. I'm going to try it. I'm going to make a few and, and, and start building a, a catalog. Now, this was. 25 years ago now. And, you know, I've made a lot of films and I've worked with a lot of filmmakers. We do some distribution too. We have about a dozen filmmakers and showrunners that work in our country and our company that, you know, we distribute for, but th that's honestly why, why I got started. It wasn't like a, a big Eureka moment. Like I, I, I got inspired and, Oh, I got, I watched Hitchcock and I have to do this. I, I thought I have to do it if I ever want to, you know, survive uh, in this industry. So uh, where can people find your work? Uh, people can buy your 3D Blu-rays or is it on Shutter? Or is it on Netflix or what? We're actually not on Shutter. I'd be happy to be on Shutter. Um, we have a we have a digital distributor that, that you know sort of pushes our stuff out to streaming channels. Netflix is actually really hard for for indies to get onto. They're so interested right now in their original content and they're spending billions of dollars on it. 
But uh, all my, my 3D stuff is on Blu-ray. If, if people go to MaddieGTV.com, that's M-A-D-D-Y-G, like George, TV, like television, .com, you can see our catalog and look at trailers. There's links to where you can buy them. We're, you can buy right on the website. We have uh, DVDs and Blu-rays on Amazon. Uh, there's good prices on eBay. You can find our stuff there. So, you know, we're not everywhere. We're not in Best Buy and Walmart and stuff like that. Not yet, anyway. But, uh, yeah, it's certainly available for people to check it out. Have you heard that um, Blu-rays are actually becoming more rare because the licensing and people are going back to DVDs? I have noticed a, a, a huge increase in physical media in general that people are sort of getting... There's a, a palpable sense that people are getting frustrated with streaming channels and the streaming industry. You're, there's so many channels now and they people, you know, they move content off. People are constantly complaining about how Netflix does eight episodes and then you got to wait a year and a half for the next season. If they even do a season, they're, they're notorious for doing, you know, one season and you never hear from it again. And, you know, so then this gets moved from Netflix to Hulu. Now it's off of Hulu and now it's going to be on Disney. And, uh, you know, so people are like, we, we started streaming because we didn't want to have to deal with that stuff. But now uh, people are going back to DVD. If you have the DVD on your shelf, then you can watch it anytime you want. And it doesn't cost you anything but the cost of the DVD. But I, I haven't heard that about Blu-ray, though. It's interesting. You said it's a it's a licensing thing. The licenses are running out on the the movies. Well, it's it's more like um, it's becoming so expensive to get the licenses to be on Blu-ray that they're just putting the movies on DVD instead, and the Blu-rays are becoming harder and harder to get because they're mm. putting they're printing less of them, and then like. 4k blu-rays you know i can't imagine that they're really suffering i don't imagine not people are buying them but i don't know oh they're super expensive i i personally don't have a 4k set so i i don't i don't buy them but i i noticed i have noticed you probably have too that 3d blu-rays are getting harder and harder to come by and a lot of movies are only released on 3d as part of the 4k package like like alita battle angel the only way to get that 3D is to get it in the 4K, 4-disc, you know, it's 50 bucks. Yeah, and I know a lot of my audience uh, really are frustrated because they have to import them. And, you know, th they may not have huge quantities because it's only in Germany or wherever, you know. And, you know, I think we're struggling trying to watch um, the latest Fast and Furious movie, Hobbs and Shaw. Because the 3D was pulled right before it came out, and then we can't, you know, we're going to review it, and then we couldn't. And then the 3D Blu-ray, we have to import it from South Korea, which is whatever, you know? <laughs> yeah, and people, like, pre-ordered it. They were excited about it and put money down, and then, boom, it was gone. They were like, oops, sorry, everybody got an email. We're not going to do that. <clears throat> and like you said, with the Blu-rays and actually having physical, I've actually come around to buying more lately. There was like a huge amount of time where I wasn't buying, but like if the internet goes out, you you're not gonna you know what are you gonna do? There might be times where the internet is just bad. Yeah, <laughs> and that happens all the time. And people still have have data caps that you know mid month or later in the month you you're you hit your cap, and now you either got to pay more money for more data or your data gets real expensive. 
So if you got, you know, some movies and some TV shows on the shelf, it, it saves that. We do a lot of uploading, you know, uploading to servers, uploading to our distributors, uploading to the VOD site, stuff like that. So our bandwidth here is pretty expensive as it is. So I buy DVDs and, and Blu-rays just to save on that. So I'm not uploading and streaming at the same time. Yeah, and you know, rights is also something where you know this year you could get it on Netflix, but next year it'll be on HBO Max. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, like you know, Friends is leaving Netflix. Office is leaving Netflix. West Wing is a Warner Brothers show too. I haven't heard specifically, but I imagine that's going to probably move over to the WB channel. Anyway, let's get back to you know horror and uh, other things. So. Um, you've made 3D movies, and uh, talk about that experience. I, well, I start, the first 3D movie I made was really just an experiment. It was in 2011, and it was Blood of Omaha, which is uh, it's it's a Bigfoot movie, and it, it was written. The script is like an old school monster movie, and it, it reminded me a lot of of like the the old Universal monsters. Those images you see of you know, the, from the fifties of people with the red and blue glasses in the theater. And, and the whole thing had that feel and 2011, 2012, there was like a resurgence in 3d, you know, everything seemed to be coming out avatar, all the theaters wanted 3d. So it was, you know, it was popular. So I just wanted to see, can I like, what do I have to do to do it? So I did some research and stuff and I, I built the rig by hand. I took two, Sony HD handy cams and I, I set them side by side and I measured out the distance between the lenses and I had no monitors. I had, you know, none of the, the stuff I have now to do it. And I just went out and I shot this movie and then brought all the footage back and messed around with it for months and months and months. And, and I, I didn't even consider myself a 3d filmmaker at the time. I just, I was like, let's just see if I could do it. And I thought, you know, at the worst, worst case scenario, the 3D is crap and I'll just release it on 2D and, you know, I won't waste everybody's time and money. But it turned out to be a whole heck of a lot of fun to do it and to be able to operate in 3D space, to create in 3D space. So then it stuck. And that movie and that process, because as I was doing it, I don't remember now actually if it was MySpace or Facebook, but I was posting pictures about it. I was like, Oh, here's, here's my new rig. Here's my, my third attempt. You know, I, I set the cameras this way and I was posting constantly and it caught the attention of Sony 3d world. And they sent me an email and they were like, Hey, this is really cool. What you're doing. you took, you took a couple of our, you know, $200 cameras and you built this rig and you're, you made a three. Can we see it? So I'm like, Oh geez, Sony, you know, I, I spent, I think we spent $8,000 on Blood of Oma and I'm sending it to the biggest media company in the world. But they were like, hey, this is neat. This is cool that you did that. What if we gave you some gear? We got some cool prosumer cameras. What if we help you? And, you know, we'll give you Sony Vegas Pro software that has the 3D plugins. They gave me Sony bloggy cameras. They gave me uh, the Sony TD 10 cameras, they were like, here's some gear, do something else. And let's see. And that's literally how I became a 3d filmmaker. Fascinating. 
Now, you mentioned Blood of Omar. Um, it's a Bigfoot movie in 2011, and we've actually had a recent resurgence of Bigfoot movies like Abominable, Smallfoot, Missing Link. Are you the reason why this Bigfoot phenomenon has come back to life? I would, I would love to think that, but but probably not. I There's been Bigfoot movies since, you know, the Gimler tapes, and I, I've seen a lot of them. I think you could you could watch one a day for a long time and not see them all. But I, I've seen a lot of them, and I, I certainly wouldn't say I'm responsible, but I, I am a big fan of that genre. I'm a big fan of monster movies. I, I started with, you know, seeing the old Universal monsters, and then... I love shark movies. My dad took me to see Jaws, and I've been hooked on shark movies ever since. So that that's just a genre in general that I love. Now, um, do you actually think Bigfoots are real creatures? Oh, you know, I get asked that a lot. I I don't know it. I have seen a lot of evidence that probably they're probably they probably do exist. I, I've seen the the tree structures. I've seen the footprints. We actually filmed Blood of Oma in what what is known around here as as Bigfoot territory, like you know the the uh, Cooks Forest Mountain region, Pleasantville, Pennsylvania, the Oil Creek region. There, there's a lot of Bigfoot sightings out here, and and we while we were filming, we had some weird things happen on set where you know things would get disrupted, and and we saw structures we heard tree knocking we we saw a lot of stuff that makes me think yeah probably but i'm also a skeptic by nature so i'm gonna probably have to meet one to be completely convinced but i've i've seen enough that makes me think yeah probably yeah i think they might exist but they will probably be like mutated bears or something <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I've seen a lot of pictures. You, we all have, you know, that from trail cams and stuff and, and people are like, Ooh, it's Bigfoot. I capture Bigfoot. And you're like, yeah, I don't know. That, that looks like, that looks like a, like a, uh, maybe a, uh, injured bear or a, a dumb bear. That looks like some kind of mutant thing. I don't know that that's a, a, a walking Bigfoot. I don't know. That's see, I'm, you know, you don't want to call bullshit on everybody, but you know, the, you, you're, you think it. Yeah, I have a friend of mine um, actually said that the way she believes in it is really out there. Um, she says that time is not linear. It is, you know, and the Bigfoots that we see did exist, but they don't exist in our time. And they're like a reflection of a previous lifetime. That's kind of like ghosts, too. And that they, you know, just phase back into their timeline and or something like that that's interesting yeah there there's a lot of people that believe bigfoot are dropped here by aliens that's a predominant theory and then there's another theory that they're like of the earth like they're earth creatures they're they're animals like humans are or bears are that's like the other big theory i i don't know i i could, I could you know who, who the heck knows i don't know <laughs> So um, you said you did other 3D content after Blood of Omar. Tell me more about that. Yeah, after Blood of Omar, uh, I got a big update from Sony on, on the camera equipment and stuff. So, And I also had a, a much better feel for, for how 3D works. When I made Blood of Omar, I was really experimenting and pushing the, the window, so to speak. I, I was 
having extreme pop-outs and really deep depth and just really messing around with it, just seeing how far I could go. And and there's people that have said, like there's a review on Amazon that says the 3D is unwatchable. It's ridiculous. And then there's a, a review on, on Blu-ray.com that says, this is actually better 3D than a lot of Hollywood is putting out. It's actually 3D. There's stuff popping out. There's stuff in the depth. And, you know, if you remember in the early, you know, 2012, 2013, 3D was pretty soft in the theaters, I think, because they were trying not to make people sick. They were trying not to, you know, get people to be like, oh, it gives me headaches. I hate 3D because they were investing so heavily in it. You know, the theaters were like, it's the only reason we're still open. You know, don't screw it up. So they, they were real easy on it. And I came out of the gate with Blood of Oman. It was, you know, stupid. Everything was popping out. And, you know, you were looking seven layers deep. So after that, I sort of, I was able to put some reins on it, let's say. And I did uh, a crime series called Wisp that I filmed in 3D. It was uh, five episodes. And it was about a, a, a cop that was hunting a serial killer. And his wife had been captured and killed by the serial killer. So he had like a, a beef. And I shot that in 3D using the new 3D gear that Sony gave us, the software. And I think it's much closer to what is expected from, you know, modern 3D. It it doesn't blow your eyes out with pop-outs. And I still really paid attention to the depth. And there's some cute stuff in there. You know, there's some scenes where, you know, stuff really hangs out in your living room. And it's fun. That's what I think is fun about 3D. A lot of people don't like pop-outs, but I think that's that's the whole game of 3D. Yeah, I mean, sometimes it just depends on the movie. It depends on the situation. And, you know, I do like it. You know, certain action scenes would be fun. Yeah, I think it's got to serve the story. It shouldn't just like pop out just because it's something's there. I think it you can really use it as a tool to tell the story if you use it right. Like uh, Maleficent, um, Mistress of Evil just came out. Um, there's a scene where you're, you know, one of the characters, Aurora, is going downstairs, and the viewpoint you're looking down on her, and the stairs are going into the depth. And it really is awesome because that's exactly the, how you should do it because, you know, the perspective shot really complements the 3D and it just makes, you know, you really feel that those steps are she's going down into the basement is really deep and far and spooky and it really worked. Yeah, that totally makes sense. And I, I think uh, gravity it does a lot of that stuff too and the, the vastness of space with Sandra Bullock out there by herself and she's looking around and, and you see it in, in a what 3d helped you see it in a way that really enhanced the story. There's a lot of people, myself included that think it's better in 3d than it was in 2d because the, the flatness of 2d, you miss that whole, you know, enveloping you in the vastness of space. I think Mar- the Martian was that way too. Yeah, um, when I took my wife to see um, Gravity in 3D, she was like, that's intense. The 3D was amazing. I love the movie, but I never want to watch it again because it was so intense. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. It really is intense. At the end, when, you know, I don't want to spoil it for anybody that hasn't seen it, but at the end, it, you're just like, whew, we made it. Like, we made it through this movie. Your heart's beating, and you're like, holy cow. So, you know, speaking of popular movies like that, 
you know, excluding the big ones, Avatar, Hugo, and Gravity, what are some of your other favorite modern 3D movies? One of my favorites, and it's not a super popular one, but it's Nurse 3D. That's one of my favorites. It was shot in 3D, and it's sort of a lower-budget movie. I don't think they spent more than a few million dollars on it. But it was cool, and they used 3D all over the place to, you know, as a story element. And a lot of fun stuff in it. You know, it's a boobs and blood horror movie. But, you know, the boobs pop out. The blood comes flying at you. You know, the the violent scenes look even more violent. The the color in it is spectacular. The the way that the camera moves, spectacular. I actually think it's a pretty cool story, too. But I I thought the 3D was outstanding. Uh, I mentioned The Martian. I love The Martian. Um especially the space stuff, the stuff on Mars, I think is great in 3d. Um, I used to not be a fan of Pixar's 3d. I always thought it was flat, but the new stuff is actually pretty good for, you know, animated stuff and, uh, Epic. I don't remember who made that. I I don't know if it was DreamWorks or blue sky, but man, Epic is awesome in 3d. Now, have you ever done post conversion 3d or only or is it only working in the actual filming in 3D? I've only filmed in 3D. I've never done post conversion. I don't I don't know that I have the tools to do it. It's sort of specialized. There's a lot of you're you're doing 3D recreation with 3D characters and you're recreating buildings and walls and you know stuff digitally to bring, you know, you're cutting film into layers and those conver- to do those conversions right anyway, it takes 200 people uh, two years to do it. It's like uh, the equivalent of making an animated film. You know, Pixar spends two, three years making a movie with 200 people. Those post conversions are that way. I'm like one dude. I don't, ha- I don't have the ability to do that. But so I've always just shot from Blood of Omaha through. I did a reality show. Uh, called Inked and Eerie that I shot in 3D. I've done a lot of music videos in 3D. I've done, um, I did a, a an Eve Six concert in 3D. Just you know, I, I'm always experimenting, and when I I see something cool, and I'm like, ooh, that would be cool in 3D. You know, see if I can do that. Do you have any favorite moments in 3D that from movies that you really remember and enjoy? Jeez, 3D moments. Well, like I said, I, I, there's so much stuff in Nurse 3D that was cool. Um, Epic is super immersive when those those little things are running, jumping off the leaves and stuff, and the camera's following them. You can really like feel like you're in it. I think that's cool. And uh, you know, I'm a sucker for like the 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 goofy pop-outs too, like in uh, Bloody Valentine when the guy throws the axe and it sticks in your computer screen and it's hanging out in your living room. That you know, that stuff's cool. There was uh, some stuff in Jaws 3D that the fish head that comes floating out in the opening credits. I'll, I'll, I saw that in the theater, and I'll never forget it. You know, one of my favorite moments was in Avengers: Infinity War. Um, I don't know if you watched the Marvel movies. I do. I, I haven't. I haven't seen Avengers in 3D, but I saw the movie. So. Um... It's, you know, obviously, I think everyone that's wanted to watch Avengers watched Avengers. So I'm just going to kind of say, yeah, I, I think we're past spoilers on those movies. Um, so Avengers uh, Infinity War, 
Um, I thought the 3D looked great all the way through the movie, beginning to end. And then after Thanos' snap, the 3D is turned off. Huh. And that was on purpose. Yeah. And um, everyone, I was in the IMAX theater. My wife and I were like, what the hell? And then my wife. You're like looking over your glasses. Yeah. And then my wife was like, no, they did that on purpose because the universe is not as vibrant as it once was. It's no longer a 3D movie. Yeah, that totally makes sense. That, that's very cool. I, di- I didn't know that they did that. But yeah, that's cool. And everyone was just stunned because, you know, and we didn't expect, you know, I, I kind of knew things were going to happen that way, but I wasn't really expecting it to happen that way. And then I was expecting the 3D either, you know? Yeah. And another moment um, I'll remember is um, when I was watching The Walk. I don't know if you watched that from a few years ago. Yes. That was cool 3D. When you're looking down at him over the wall, over the wire. Yeah, that's crazy. I don't know how many layers of depth that was. My wife and I were right. just... <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. My wife and I were just like gripping our, our, our seat and just like, I can't imagine to watch this in 2D and being anywhere the same, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a good one. I forget about the walk being in 3D. I rented it in 3D and I was like, this is, you know, mind boggling. Because it really made like that, that dude's up on the wire. And in 3D, you get to see what he saw. And that guy had nerves of steel. Yeah, I got lucky um, and I got a free screening in IMAX 3D. And seeing that in IMAX is just like, oh, wow. (laughs) Yeah, wow. So what advice would you give to anyone that wants to be a 3D filmmaker like you are? Well, you know, I it's not popular opinion if you follow any of the indie film boards and stuff, but... I tell people that ask about, you know, I want to be an indie filmmaker. What's your advice? I say, if you can imagine yourself making a living doing absolutely anything else, do it. Because indie film is tough. And it, 3D, shooting in 3D just makes it tougher. It's, it'll break your spirit. It'll empty your bank account. It can break your body. I actually was in physical therapy for 12 weeks this year over injuries I sustained on sets. So if you can do if you can do anything else, do it. But if you insist on on pursuing film, I, I say study it. And I don't mean go to film school. I mean watch the movies you love. Learn how to tell stories visually. I see so many like lower budget indie films where it's one long wide shot. There's no over the shoulders. There's no close ups. There's no coverage. Yeah, and, and I think that's just either you you don't know what you're doing, or you're lazy, and e- either of those things, e- a lack of knowledge or laziness, does not is not going to enable you to be a filmmaker. So learn, learn watch films, and and watch what they're doing. Don't point the camera in the wrong way when somebody's talking. You know, there, there's some basic rules that y- you need to follow to make a film watchable. Now, um, have you seen a found footage 3D? I have not. I'm not a a big fan of found footage. And honestly, a lot of that comes from my wife. She hates it. She hates found footage. Just the the shaky cam, the, you know, it it drives her eyes crazy. And she just, she walks out of the room and turns it off. And, you know, so I, I like, like the original Blair Witch. I like that movie. I thought Cloverfield was pretty cool, but. 
Um, I have not seen found footage 3D. Just the title made me not watch it. So it's actually a lot of fun. And it's on Shutter, and um, they actually kind of like parodying found footage and make, and then it becomes the movies like a parody of found footage movies. Well, yeah, and it becomes a, a found footage movie in itself, and it's fun. It's you know how they do things is is kind of like a fake documentary, and it really works for what it is, and it's in three D because that's why they wanted, we wanted to record it that way. And it's fun. It's a really fun, low-budget, horror 3D movie. Well, I'll take that recommendation. I'll look it up. Because that does sound interesting to me. I bet your wife will like it. <laughs> okay. She'll give anything a chance. So, um, talking about movies, let's just say you were given infinite budget and any movie studio lets you do whatever they want with it, whatever property let's go crazy what movie would you make what i would do what i would love to do is chuck polniak's sequels to fight club fight club the original fight club is the tops my all-time list i think it's perfection i think david fincher was genius everything about that movie is perfect and i really like the story that chuck polniak has taken with Fight Club 2 and now Fight Club 3. I would I would love to be able to pay homage to Fincher's work and continue that story and see it on the big screen. It would take a lot of money, I think. But um I think you know, with unlimited budget, I think I could do it. But, but that's definitely that's definitely what I what I would choose, yeah. Since you have experience with uh, mysteries and stuff, I think it might be fun for you to do Spider-Man Noir. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I I liked uh I liked that animated Spider-Man. Yeah, I thought that was super cool. Yeah. So, you know, making that uh noir black and white Spider-Man movie. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. That would be cool. I could definitely take that on. <laughs> so, uh speaking about your movies, um one of the actors on there is Miss Mary Madison. She seems to be in a lot of your movies. Is there a reason for this? Yeah, Marie Madison. Well, aside from her being, you know, a really good actress, she's also my wife and my creative partner. So early on when, when we started, when I started making movies, we were making movies together. And so she was in a lot of them at the beginning. She actually was in so many that she got sick of doing it. And she, it's hard to do both. And like I said, we're a small company. So in addition to acting, she also was set designing. She also was ordering food. She also was organizing transportation and somehow making it to set and being prepared and learning your lines. So then there was a lot of years. She actually took a lot of years off where she wasn't acting at all until just recently with uh, Fury Redo, which is a remake of my very first film that I made in 2005. And she came back and played that same character that she created. So that was the, that was actually the last film that I made was Fury Redo. And that was her last acting thing that she did. What do you consider to be your masterpiece, your cinematic masterpiece? Well, you know, it's like movies for filmmakers and music or songs for songwriters. They all are like your kids. Like you like them all for different reasons. Some are trouble for you. You know, some are, you know, superstars and you love them all. But 
if I had to choose a masterpiece, you know, they say like, you're only as good as your last film. And I don't necessarily agree with that. But I think as you progress, the more movies you make, the longer you've been in it, you're, you have better skill sets, better headspace, better gear. That's actually the reason why we remade Fury. But for me, it's Fury Redo. I, that movie came out exactly the way I wanted it to. It's everything I expected and wanted out of that movie. And I couldn't do it better. Now, if I had a million dollars, I couldn't make Fury Redo better. What makes your films unique? Well, I think all films are, are unique. You'll, you'll never, ever get the same cast and crew on anything. So you, no one can ever m make the same movie twice. Even with remakes and rehashes and stuff that feels familiar, you're getting fresh blood and fresh people, fresh eyes, fresh ideas into it. Because it takes a village. It takes a village. So, I don't know. For me, I, I feel like every project I do, whether it's a music video or it's a commercial for a company or, or a movie or a TV show or an episode, I just try and look at it and, and say, you know, how can I do this different? How can I, I look at this better? Look at this in a different way. I try and find the story. I try and find the narrative of it. What's the guts of the thing? And then I just try and make every decision serve that end. And of course, you know, money solves everything and I hardly ever have money. I hardly ever have enough time. So, you know, every time you look back in a movie, you think, ah, if I could have, I would have. But uh, yeah, it's a good question, man. I, I don't know. Now, you know, we're about to head on to 2020. And, um, you know, what movies from the last 20 years have you thought are some of your favorites? Last 20 years. Well, I mentioned Fight Club. I don't know if that fits in that 20-year period. I think it's it's 20 years now. Jeez. Um, man, I, I like – I really like uh, M. Night's new stuff. Um, the Visit I thought was super cool, super creepy. Um, I like Michael Bay too. I like his, his Transformer stuff. Like, he gets so much flack. For especially from indie film people, you know, and people make jokes about Michael Bay, but man, he can, he can like do a spectacle like few people in, you know, in the world. And I like, I like his stuff. If, you, if you're talking about, you know, popcorn fun stuff, Michael Bay nails it. Jerry Bruckheimer always has his back and that dude's a gazillionaire. I, you know, I don't know. I like, I like the nuances of, of, the stuff that Ron Howard does, Robert Zemeckis, you know, the slow burn, you know, drama stuff. I like Pixar too. I love, I love Pixar. Every movie that comes out, I go see it. I just think what they do is, is amazing. Any specific titles you want to throw out there? I just watched Toy Story 4. It's, it's very, very well done. It's not actually my favorite Pixar movie. My favorite Pixar movie is probably The Incredibles. But um, I thought Toy Story 4 was cool. I just saw The Lion King. I thought that was awesome. The, you know, quote unquote live action, even though it's all animated. But man, that was neat to watch. That's probably going to be one of my favorite movies. I'll, I'll see that again and again. 
Now, with the rise of independent films, um, and do you think Hollywood is waking up to that and trying to make movies more indie feeling? And do you think people are getting tired of the old formulas and reboots and such? I think you hear on social media that people are tired of them, but they make money. You know, Hollywood is to this day redoing stuff. I just saw a thing on the news this morning where they're going to do a, a digital recreation of James Dean and James Dean is going to star in a few movies. That seems crazy. And a lot of people are like, Oh my God, don't ever do that. That's awful. And you know, they they're working on a Bruce Lee movie that where Bruce Lee is completely digital now and you know, reboots and rehashes. And I don't know. I don't really mind them myself. I thought that the Texas chainsaw remakes were better than the original Texas chainsaw movie. The first one is, uh, if, in my opinion, hard to get through. But the new one with Jessica Biel, I thought was very cool. Lots of fun. I'm on the on the fence with the Halloween movies, Rob Zombie's remakes. I didn't think they were bad, but I didn't really feel that. I thought that they were more bloody, more horror-y than Carpenter's was like, made you, you know, think about it days later and get creeped out. Now, what are your thoughts on Martin Scorsese and the whole film controversy that Marvel movies are not art and they're like theme parks and his movies are art? Do you consider your movies art? I think there's an art to filmmaking. I think anybody that can do it is, you know, has to have some kind of art to it. So I don't know. I wouldn't I wouldn't say one movie's art and one movie's not. Look, Martin Scorsese is, he's like a master craftsman and anybody involved in film should listen to what he says. I'm not saying do what he says or believe what he says, but when he talks, you should listen. And, you know, I think that Scorsese makes a very different kind of movie than Marvel. And I don't think you can really compare the two. I come from a place where I feel like there's nothing wrong with films being entertainment. Just for fun, just because you can blow shit up and laugh at people and have a good time. You you take your wife out, you take a date out, and it's a good time. You take your kids, it's fun. I don't think everything has to break a mold or break new ground or, or be, you know, something special and unique. I think it's okay to just make a movie that's fun to see. And Marvel does that better than anybody. Marvel movies are awesome to watch. They're fun to watch. I think it takes a lot of artists to make them, so I, I wouldn't say they're not art. So I don't know. I don't know if I even answered that question. My opinion is Martin Scorsese is is a master, and yes, his movies are art. I don't think he has a right to say Marvel isn't. Yeah, I understand what you're saying. Um, you know, I kind of think there's a good example here with Guardians of the Galaxy, where there's a talking raccoon and a tree as a character, and it, would you see that on page? Oh, that's ridiculous. I'm not going to like that. Yeah. But when you actually see the movie, how could you not like that movie? You know? Right. Yeah, exactly. It's just fun. It's fun to watch. And the art is making it come alive, making it work, that you don't question it. And, you know, I kind of like your, your idea that, you know, if, as long as you put your sweat, heart, and tears into a movie, it's art. Yeah. Your sweat, you know, and if you're doing sequels and, you know... Like, I, I don't want to necessarily attack Ice Age, but like the fifth Ice Age movie, I'm not going to say that's art. 
You know, Hollywood in general, especially from independent film people, Hollywood in general gets a bad rap. People are always saying, oh, they're out of ideas. They're, you know, just remaking, rehashing, re-everything. But, you know, I'll watch a movie on Blu-ray and I'll watch the bonus features or the behind the scenes features. And some of them get really in-depth. And as I'm watching it, I'm thinking, you know, this is a, a lot of really creative people really doing their very best work. I watched the behind the scenes of uh, of Lion King, and a lot of people were upset that they even ma- remade Lion King. Like, that movie was perfect. My kids loved it. I cried at the end, and there's no reason. But man, you watch the behind the scenes, and you watch how meticulously those artists worked to bring those characters to life and the voice artists. And I, I, I just got the sense, like, these people aren't phoning it in. They're not out of ideas. It's nothing but ideas in that room. So I, I really do think that Hollywood gets a bad rap for it. Even when you're doing a remake like Lion King, you got so many really smart, really talented, really creative people in there doing it. And that's why it looks so good. Are you making any future 3D movies or t- 3D TV shows? I am actually. I, I'm in pre-production right now on a uh, a 3D feature called The Long Descent. It's sort of a, a slow burn. Uh, it's it's gonna sort of be in the horror horror genre. It's also gonna be maybe in in like a psychological thriller. It's about it's about a guy who has a very painful mental breakdown that ends in tragedy, and. Uh, we're in pre-production on it. I actually do have sort of a horror legend attached to it. I, I can't tell you who, because we're not. I, I haven't. We haven't announced that person yet. So, um, I have that coming up. And uh, not to get too far ahead of myself, but I am working with the original writer of Blood of Oma, and we're working on a sequel. We're gonna uh, hopefully start filming in in like summer 2020. And uh, we're going to do a sequel to Blood of Oma. I will film that in 3D because I I think the Blood of Oma fans would just go crazy if I didn't. I think it wouldn't be the same. You know, they'd be like, that's not the same movie. But I'm really looking forward to that. I, I love the monster genre and, and just get, being able to get back into the woods with the 3D cameras and, and do more fun stuff with Bigfoot's going to be a blast. Um, have you thought about ever doing um, like movies from the past that are in public domain? Kind of like, I think people would really appreciate an actual remake of Gaslight. You know, that term has been used a lot in recent years. And Mm -hmm. that could be a really good movie to make right now. (laughs) It's interesting. I I, Honestly, I hadn't thought of it. Um, I'm a big fan of Hitchcock's early work. A lot of people think it's hard to watch his black and white stuff from Europe where he was basically shooting into shoeboxes. And and stuff like Lady Vanishes, they were he was using stuff like techniques, like picking up the camera and moving it and putting cameras on dollies and using miniatures. And he was so limited in in what they would allow him to do. in you know, the 1940s. But he was really innovating stuff. And I I have thought many times because all that stuff's in the public domain now. So many times of taking one of those things and doing it with modern technology, modern HD cameras, you know, new digital effects, stuff like that. I, I think that would be fun to do, you know, something Hitchcockian style of his older work. Cause I don't think Hollywood would ever do it. Okay. Um, what promos and plugs do you have, uh, for your website? You know, what do you just go ahead and, uh, 
give everyone your information so that way they could uh, have it. Yeah, I'd love for people to check us out at Maddie G TV. It's M A D D Y G like George TV like television.com. Go to Maddie G TV and, and and click around. Hit the catalog section. We got like 30 some movies and shows up there. You can see the trailers, you can see links to where you can watch them if if they're available on streaming channels, you can link right over to it. Um, you know, downloads the DVDs, Blu-rays. Um you can find Blood of Oma on eBay. You can find it on Amazon. Uh, same with Wisp. Uh, same with Inked and Eerie. We didn't really talk about that, but it's a little reality show I shot in 3D. Um, yeah, definitely come check us out. We, aside from 3D, we got a lot of really cool stuff. If you're into horror, we got you know a lot of cool horror stuff. We have uh, some documentaries. Uh, Ryan Cavallini, he did a, a Bigfoot documentary called Mountain Devil that's outstanding. He has a new movie that just came out called The Exorcism Prayer that is – he went and actually talked to priests who do exorcisms, and the movie is creepy as hell, and people are really starting to talk about that. So you can go check that out at MattyGTV.com too and and just you know get to know us and uh, follow along. We have a newsletter. Sign up for the newsletter. We, we send out newsletters every month and let you know what we're doing. And uh, it's good times. Low-budget indie. We're here. We're here to uh, disrupt Hollywood. So, um, to actually, let's talk about that. Uh, this, the reality TV 3D. Tell me more about that. Sell me on it. Yeah, I made it right after Wisp. I was working for a, a, an Erie-based uh, cable channel, and they hired me to, to shoot a reality show. It's called Inked and Erie, and it's sort of like Miami Ink meets um, I don't know any of those Ink shows. We went and interviewed. People talked about their tattoos. We filmed their tattoos. We talked about tattoo art and interviewed artists and stuff like that. And I was just really hot on 3D, and I was set to shoot everything 3D. The network didn't want to release it in 3D. They didn't want to you know, spend the money on 3D. So I did it all myself. But 3D suits the this for this uh, genre, I guess, if you can call it. When I when you're watching these tattoos, the, the tattoo machines are popping out in your living room, and there's you know there's girls that are are sitting on the chair and their legs hanging over the chair, and now it's like hanging over your screen, and you're looking not just at the tattoo that that you're looking at, but you're looking at the tattoo behind her, and then the room behind them, and I got shots where I got like nine layers of depth in those things. I just really had fun with it because I had the gear and I had the time, and I was doing it all on my own dime anyway, so. Um, I, I really, whether you like tattoo shows or you like tattoo stuff, Inked and Eerie is just fun to watch in 3D. And that's available on Maddie G TV too. Do you have a phone app or a Apple TV app or Roku app or anything like that? We are on Roku um, right now, but uh, the channel actually, it, it's free to watch. You can search for it in the Roku channel store. Search Maddie G TV, it'll pop right up. A lot of our stuff is on there. 3D is not on there. Uh, the reason is it's it's paid for by commercials. Uh, when you're watching a, a movie in 3D with your 3D TV and your glasses on and it cuts to a 2D commercial, it ruins the whole thing. And we can't afford to stream the, the 3D movies for free. So we are on Roku. The 3D stuff isn't on the channel. And to be honest, the uh, the streaming TV industry is not great right now. It's not good for indies. And we've been struggling since the channel opened. We have 360,000 channel subscribers. We've been in the top 20 
on Roku since we launched, and we have never once made a dime. It costs us money every month. And the business model of streaming TV is not suitable for lower budget channels and independent channels. You need a lot of advertising to to pay the bills. And the big guys like Hulu are investing in it. They're not making money either. They're investing in streaming and they're hoping. Netflix still hasn't made money yet. So the streaming landscape is tough. It's really flooded with Hollywood. So we actually announced on our Facebook page that we're going to probably be closing our Roku channel. Um, that probably still is true. But since we announced it, we got a lot of outpouring of, oh, no, I love that channel. And a lot of people are starting to watch it again. So I don't know. We may reevaluate. But for now, the channel definitely is still up. We're just not we're not promoting it super heavily because I don't know what the hell is going to happen with it in the next few months. Have you thought about doing Apple TV uh, channel? We've thought about it. We've thought about doing Fire Stick. But the business model is the same. If if you make the channel free, then you have to have advertising to support it. And I don't know if you know this, but Roku is the biggest platform. Actually, about 30% of all television being watched, period, in the U.S. is being watched on Roku. But they only have about 3% of the advertising dollars being spent. So there's a giant disconnect. And of that 3% of advertising that's on Roku, channels like Maddie GTV are getting the tiniest, tiniest, tiniest sliver of that, where they're literally dropping pennies on us. So to move to, to Apple TV, I'd be moving to a smaller platform with the same costs of bandwidth, and I'd still need to find advertisers. And if Roku only has 3%, I don't know what, what Fire Stick has or what apple has i don't know that i can afford to to experiment with it okay because like i know people might be more interested if you have an iphone app or android app you know sure no yeah we've thought about it we we honestly we thought let's get on roku the biggest platform first let's get that flying right and get that working and then we'll take some of that money and we'll we'll do an app we'll go to fire stick we'll go to apple tv we just have yet to get our heads above water on roku have you thought about Going on YouTube and trying to do YouTube 3D and all that? We do have some stuff on on YouTube. We do have a YouTube channel. And we have, I, I didn't mention that before, you can find Matty GTV on YouTube. We have uh, like some pilot episodes. We have, uh, um, you know, you can watch like the first couple, two, three episodes of different things. And we do have some 3D stuff on there. Um, yeah, I, I forgot that YouTube does 3D. I don't really think about it that way but we have uh some 3d music videos up there um the 3d trailers for blood of omas and the 3d trailers for wisp you can sort of get a feel for what you're in for on youtube thanks for reminding me of that yeah um good job adolf (laughs) (laughs) okay um so do you have like a patreon page or indiegogo or or any way directly donate if people want to donate to you no, we don't. We we actually have never used uh, crowdfunding. We have uh, we've reinvested. When we make a movie, we set a budget based on the previous movie. So you know we work in very low numbers relatively. So if we say our, our budget's five thousand and the movie makes ten thousand, then the next movie gets a five thousand dollar budget. We literally work that way. And the trick to independent film is you got to make them as cost effective as possible 
so you can actually make money. It's hard to make money in indie film. So the trick is you got to use your wits and your skills and your the equipment you have and the people you know and and make them as I, I hate to use the word cheap, but you got to make them as cheap as possible. Is it difficult to be a you know how much money would you want to make a, a brand new three D movie? How much money do you need? Like budget? Um, it's it's hard to say. It, making a three D movie takes a lot longer. It's a time factor. Because you still have all the same stuff. You still have to have sets, locations, actors. You still got to feed everybody. You still got to transport everybody. You got to put everybody up in hotels, all that stuff. All that stuff goes either way, whether you're shooting 2D or 3D. But when you're shooting in 3D, it takes longer because now you're working in 3D space. So it, it, when you shoot 2D, you see you, you're looking at somebody talking and the background just sort of fades away. It blurs out. Well, in 3D, you you're seeing those layers of depth. So the set design, you're not just looking at the wall behind the guy. You're looking at the through the doorway to his right and into the other room and what's on that table. You got to you got to look at that too and now you got to set design that stuff. You got to think about what's in front of the camera. When I when I shoot in 3D, I I think of what am I looking at and I want something in front of him and I want like three or four things behind it. I always think in layers. So it takes longer to set design. And, you know, time is money. It's that way in almost any business. So if I could shoot a scene in two days in 2D, it, it would take me four days to shoot it in 3D. Okay. Um, do you have anything else you want to throw out there? Anything else you want to mention? Any specific people that you would want to thank? Oh, I always thank my wife, Maddie. The, the company is Maddie G because uh, Madison, all of her friends started shortening it to Maddie. Hey, Maddie. So over the years, she's always been known as Maddie. She's Maddie Gorman. I can't do much of anything without her. Um, my writers are amazing. Um, Adam Moore, A.D. Moore, uh, Mike Edgerly. They're like my writing room. Uh, my crew, um, Andy Beatty. He's like my right hand, left hand, left foot. He does everything that Maddie can't do. So uh, it, like I said, it takes a village, takes a million people to do it. And we only have a fraction of that. So everybody, I'll, I'll never be able to mention it all. But yeah, just I appreciate the indie film community. I appreciate the 3D community. The Blu-ray people are, you know, so excited about our movies. And they've been really supportive with buying our Blu-rays. And, uh, and you guys at, at your uh, podcast. And I, I appreciate you talking to me and giving me some time to, you know, brag about my stuff. Okay. Uh, thanks, Paul. Everyone listening, uh, thank you for your time again. Bye. Yeah, thank you very much. Okay, before this podcast wraps up, I want to thank my patrons. Thank you, David and Mr. Bengal5 for your financial support on Patreon.com. So that's going to be it for this podcast. You can find us, 3dor2d.com, on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, and so much more. Just look for 3D or 2D. You can also send us your listener mail. Our email address is email3dor2d at gmail.com. Links are in the description. Thank you for listening and or watching. Bye. 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 Goodbye. Bye, everyone.